0: Welcome to the Voices of Ocean Parkway. I'm your host, Victor Zaytuni, and this is the podcast for every runner using running as a medium to connect to the rest of the world. Each week, I take the time to sit down with a member of our local running community and take a deep dive into the running scene of OPR, New York City, and beyond. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your content. This week, I had the privilege of sitting down with sub-three-hour marathoner, Ralph Tusi. As you'll hear, Ralph had extreme leg speed from a very young age, but it wasn't until his wife gifted him a Garmin that he shifted from workaholic, Chinese food-eating lawyer, to a man on a mission to break the three-hour barrier. Ralph and I discussed his origin story in the sport. We spoke about the importance of goal-setting and what it means to set a good goal. We dove into his eight-year marathon journey and spoke about mentorship and role models, and of course, the detail of how the Run Commute came to be. Ralph is a great runner, but more importantly, a good friend and mentor to so many of us. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Ralph Tusey. Hi Ralph, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Vic. Great to be on. Really excited about this. More excited about you having a podcast.
0: Thank you, Ralph. We're all excited uh, to hear a bit about you and to hear your story. Everyone that knows you knows Ralph Tucci, the runner. But why don't you take a step back and tell us how it all began, where it all started?
1: So where it all started as Ralph Tucci, the runner. Um, So I guess this is interesting. I don't want to go too far back, but for a brief moment in time um, as a child, I I knew. (laughs) Let me go to my first steps. (laughs) I came out Uh, of the womb running. As as a child, I knew I had, I could say this um, without sort of sounding too braggadocious. I had exceptional leg speed. There's no question about it. I was able to sprint uh, short distances faster than pretty much anybody. So I saw that in team sports. Like, for example, in football, we'd play two hand touch, and I would just run to the end zone and have a meal and wait for the ball. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean I always scored a touchdown because it was 50 50. I'd actually As catch, you the, catch ball. the
0: ball. Right?
1: <laughs> that was always a question. So I didn't know we'd get the pass, but I'd be standing there like, hello, hello, yeah. I'm here. Right? And, you know, like fast breaks in basketball, I was mm-hmm. able to break those up very quickly. Like, I'd be able to, I can get down the court in like, like a second. It looked like a flash. Um, you know, tag as a kid, I can never get caught. And, you know, baseball was re- where I really excelled. We didn't play a lot of baseball in our community, but when we did, um, that's where I really excelled because I had, a—I uh, was a pretty decent hitter and I knew that if I just made contact with the ball, even if it was sharp ground ball, I'd be, I'd be able to beat it out. Mm-hmm. So I always felt I had that leg speed and, um, and I, I understood the concept of turning my legs over quickly to get from A to B and pushing yeah. myself really hard. The thing that never really clicked for me was long distance running. Long distance running to me looked like something that just otherworldly people did. Like I grew up every Sunday, uh, every year on a Sunday, there'd be the New York City Marathon on TV and it would interrupt our cartoons. And, <laughs> and, and I'd watch that thinking to myself, what? They're running 20 blocks 26 times. Why would you do that? <laughs> like I can't when I run down the block, I'm heaving, I'm dying. I'm just like, all right, I'm totally spent. And these guys at the front are running faster than the in my full out, all out sprint down the block for the entire distance. It just seemed like that's for, that's that's something other people do. That's something I'll never do. And then, you know, fast forward to like high school you know where I went to school um, in Flatbush there was no uh, formal track team there was no cross country I didn't even know what cross country was honestly uh, until later in life I thought cross country only referred to skiing little did I know it was sort of running on grass and dirt I I had no idea Um, but we didn't have that so that wasn't really sort of encouraged so I never really picked it up as as a formal sport Um, and I know and I sort of forgot about my leg speed I sort of used it here and there when I played team sports but then went to college, I went to law school, and I sort of got sedentary. I got lazy. I, I, I decided, you know, uh, sports is just a you know a fleeting thing, something for children. I'm, I'm serious now. I, I ignored very good advice that I got from a senior lawyer at a law firm right after I graduated law school. He said to me, make exercise a routine part of your day, whatever it is you do. If it's go, go for a jog for 30 minutes or something, do it. Yeah. just make it a routine. Why? Otherwise you'll never do it. And I said, I'll never do it. Ah, I'll pick that up whenever I want. Yeah. And sure enough, I never did it. And I spent my first 10 years at a law firm working crazy hours, sitting at my desk, ordering up Chinese food, mm-hmm. getting fat, getting lazy. It's always Chinese getting... food. <laughs> it was right downstairs. It was the easiest yeah. thing. Sure. And just, it felt like health and fitness was getting away from me. So around 2008, after my son was born, my sister, uh, Vicki Ornstein, who's uh, married to Michael Ornstein, the crazy uh, endurance runner. Yes. Um, crazy is a compliment. He's smiling if he's listening. Um, she was doing, uh, she, was, she was starting to run seriously. She'd done the New York City Marathon. And I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe I can run. Maybe, I, I don't know. I'll try it. So I started running a little bit. And right away, my knee was killing me. I was like, I'm doing something wrong or it's not mm-hmm. for me. And I recall, uh, I think about, I'd say maybe a month before I started running, I slipped on a stair and my knee went into the point of the next step really sharply and it was killing me. And I was like, ah, that's really bad. And I sort of still today, I still feel some things moving around in that kneecap. But I sort of ignore it. It's not clearly it's not an issue yeah, now. Not, it doesn't seem that it's bothering you that much. <laughs> but, but at the time I said to myself, Oh, this is a problem. Uh, just abort mission. This is just running's not for me. I'll mm-hmm. I'll admire people who do it from the outside and you know I'll never sort of, you know, really, really take it seriously. And then in twenty eleven, um, I sort of forgotten about it for a few more years. I was working and Jeffrey Dweck, one of my closest friends who I know since the mid 70s, uh, (laughs) he was running. He was taking it seriously. He was a guy who was going to the gym and he was running like seven miles on the treadmill. No problem. Feeling great. Until he realized after like a year, oh, I could run outdoors. So (laughs) (laughs) So he started running outdoors and then he got serious and he hired Coach Kane to take him into the New York City Marathon. And he was really starting to do all these races. And I said, all right, all right, all right. I got to rethink. I got to try this again. So I told my wife about it, and Sharon was extremely supportive. Um, it was Father's Day 2011. I may have told you this, but she bought me a Garmin. And I'm sort of a techie guy. I got excited about the concept of, like, I run. It has GPS, and I come back, and it, like, shows me a map of what I did. That's so cool. You're I got to try more interested
0: that. in the tech than you were in the running.
1: Yes, yes. So I put on my crappy shoes, right? We all had like crappy shoes yeah. to start. I don't, even, I don't even know what I had. I think they were tennis shoes because I played tennis. So I put them on, slapped on the uh, garment, got some satellites, waited like 10 minutes for satellites <laughs> <laughs> and started, ran to Marine Park, uh, which was, I was living in the twenties and, uh, and came back. And I said to my wife, I said, I just ran two miles. I ran two miles. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to sync it up with the laptop and I'm going to show you. It's going to show, six, I'm just going to show two miles. It's going to show you how fast I went. It's going to show you every step I took and the whole direction and the route map and everything. You're going to, you're going to love it. Sharon, you're going to get a gift already. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> so I got into it again. I got into it. I got excited because I, the watch made me excited. I saw the run and I, I, I said, wow, what does it even mean that I ran 11 minutes per mile? Like, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Is that good? Like the first questions you ask yourself when you start anything is, Am I is that any am, good? Am I doing you know? it right? Yeah. Am I yeah, am I doing it right? And then I started picking up a little bit more. I was asking Michael Arnstein for advice. He was giving me some advice. And then like anybody else starting out and running, my ambition got way ahead of my ability. And I started to get pains and things started to bother me again. And I said, Oh crap. All right. Yeah. I remember this a few years ago. This is this is a problem. You know, I'm feeling I'm feeling knee pain. And that was like, I realized later what, that was my IT band because your musculature and your skeletal system, they're not ready for your brain. Your brain's like, yeah, of course, I'm going to run a marathon. And your body is like, what, what, what is, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I, I sort of took a step back. There was a guy I worked with in my office. He was like 15 years older than me. And he was running and he was running half marathons. And I said, Jim, what's your secret, man? How are you doing this? He mm-hmm. says, you just have to have good running form. I said, all right. I mean, am I doing it right? I don't know. He says, just buy the book, Chi Running by Danny Dreyer. Read the book. That's the Bible. I I bought the book. Learned how to run from the book. Talks about basic things about running form. I mean, I know how people like to defend their running form as, um, as their style. And everybody does have a style of running like Paula Radcliffe with the bobbing head and you know, Meb with a slight heel strike, like everyone's got their style. That's totally cool. But there are some best practices. You want to land under your center of gravity. You want to extend your hips. You want to rotate your hips. You want to swing your arms from the shoulder. You want to look forward. Like all of those things, I started to thinking, hey, this is making sense. And I practiced each of those on my runs. And I got better and better. And then all of a sudden, it sort of snowballed into... Hey, I'm able to actually do this and I'm not gonna get hurt. Yeah. And I can go further and I can start getting faster because I'm doing it the proper way. Mm-hmm. It's not just a fast version of walking. It's actually a specialized technique like any other sport throwing a hammer, pole vaulting, javelin throw. There's Shooting a basket, technique to it. A Shooting a basketball. Right. Why why do all those sports somehow have uh instruction? Videos, um, you know, coaching videos, but like this, there's almost nothing, and then you know everyone just sort of goes out there and gets hurt, and then there's a whole industry to help to put them back together, right? Which doesn't yeah. make any sense. There's a way to learn to run properly. So my suggestion is for people, go on YouTube, immerse yourself in good proper running form. Um, I can direct you to uh, specific videos that can help mm-hmm. you. Get the book Chi Running, um, learn how to run properly.
0: So now you're in the sport, you're learning how to do it, you're comfortable. Everyone that knows you as a runner, knows you as the sub three marathoner now and the guy that was chasing that for so long so when did the marathon come onto your radar
1: yeah so it seemed like the marathon was just sort of like the next logical step um you know everyone seemed to do that as sort of a holy grail looking back now and you can be a great runner and have a great running life without the marathon Mm -hmm. but but at the time i I sort of uh, viewed it as hey this is what everyone's doing that's of course what you know the next step should be i said hey I'm, I'm turning 40, I'm 39, let me, let me get something under my belt before I turn 40, I'd like to get the marathon done, it's a bucket list item, everyone talks about the wonderful feeling, yeah. nobody could ever take it away from you, all that's true, so I attacked it with Eli Deed, who's a good friend of mine, who I also know from the mid-70s, <laughs> and, <laughs> and we decided we were going to run the 2012 New York City Marathon, only problem is it got yeah. canceled because of Hurricane yeah. Sandy, right? We found something very quickly uh, in the sticks of Pennsylvania, some Delaware and Lehigh Valley Marathon on a kind of like a gravelly trail. Wasn't what we expected. Wasn't what we trained for, I guess. But, hey, first time marathoners, we take what we can get. We were were lucky. We were lucky we could register Mm -hmm. with only like 250 people in it. Um, So my goal in that race was one, to finish and two, to break four hours. Cool. And I was excited to do that. And when I did that, I was like, wow, I actually broke four hours. And I felt pretty good after that Mm -hmm. race. So then I started thinking to myself, all right, I could do this again. And it was a great feeling. And I think I can get my time down. But then I sort of struggled at it. I think the reason I didn't progress is because I did not appreciate the value of high mileage. And if I could tell anybody the best advice I got for doing better at distance running was to get more mileage under my belt. Um, and that doesn't mean kill yourself every day. It means go out for easy runs. Mm-hmm. Like this morning, I ran 10 miles to Greenwood Cemetery, and, you know, and Sunset Park, getting a little relaxed pace, um, breathing at my aerobic threshold and uh, those kinds of runs and just stacking them and stacking them over years. And that just made me better and better because I realized um, it, there's no substitute for doing the work you can't just will yourself in a marathon to a faster time. Yeah. Uh, you know, that only goes so far. You can sort of fake it in a 5K. You can squeeze by in a in a half. Mm. You know, nobody will notice really if you slip those last few miles. right? <laughs> but in a marathon, there's no hiding. And I think people realize that. So the marathon then became sort of like my bet noir. It was one of those uh, distances that I said to myself, how do I crack this thing? I felt like I was making better progress in 5K. And I
0: had
1: the, I felt more um, like if I were a professional, I think I would have gravitated to the 5k and that would have been my event. Mm -hmm. But because I was an amateur, I wanted to do it all. And so I wanted to do well in the marathon as well. And so I started chipping away at that over a number of years and it took a long time for me to get to this.
0: Like you said, we're amateurs and we do this in addition to what we do in the rest of our lives. Something you've been telling me for a long time is that you're never impressed by the guy that simply is successful at one thing, but blows up the rest of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think it's important to be
1: well-rounded. I mean, even not only the important things, like obviously you want to be present as a husband, father, or brother, uh, sister, mother, wife, right? You, you, you don't want it to take over your life. Right? It's, to me, it's like, if I, if, if, if I were killing it and running, but I was like going through terrible uh, problems in my marriage and I was sort of uh, throwing away my job, I mean, that's almost like a, like a drug addiction. Mm-hmm. To me, that to me that is not success, that's failure. I mean, I, I was listening to this story from uh, Michael Arnsky was telling me about this guy. He, he was so impressed by him. Um, he was running all these ultras. He was running thousands of miles a year. He's in every race. And, and then he sort of like he got totally turned off when he found out that the guy lives in his van. Like he's got he's a loner and he's got no no life. You know, he just this is all he does. Right. Like, so, yeah, if I ran across America, but I abandoned the rest of my <laughs> life, I don't think anybody would be that impressed, honestly. Um, so I think it's important to be well-rounded. I think it's important to have other hobbies, too. Right. I mean, don't just have running consume your life. It's good to be goal oriented. Yes. It's good to focus on the next thing or what you can do and just exploit every possible angle to get better and wring every drop out of the rag, but you don't want it to take over your life. You'll actually do better when it doesn't take over your life. You almost see like a microcosm Mm -hmm. of it when Usain Bolt is lining up for a race. He's chilling, he's dancing, he's high-fiving the officials, right? He's, now it doesn't mean it's not important to him. It's extremely important to him. It's just as important as everyone else. While everyone else is tensing up, he's staying Mm -hmm. loose. You stay loose, you put things in perspective, you go to your next star line, relaxed, because hey, it's not life or death.
0: Taking all that into account, every time you're ready to set a goal, what crosses your mind? What is a good goal and an important goal to you?
1: We sure are attracted to round numbers, aren't we? <laughs> um, right? Of sub twenty sub twenty five K, sub three hour marathon, sub one thirty half. Three thousand miles on the year, like these are just numbers that
0: are arbitrary but reason. very important factors. So. We're
1: like we're like moths to a light bulb yeah. when we see a round number, <laughs> right? It's just a crazy thing, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's the first thing. Okay, then I take stock of um, reality, and whether it scares me enough. Like for example, a sub five minute mile, right? Um, I'd like to do that. I haven't done that. That's twelve miles an hour for five minutes. Um, now it can't be too easy, so it has to scare the crap out of me, right? <laughs> and and that is not a it's not a pain I enjoy. Trust me, mm-hmm. like a, the mile effort to me is like electrocuting yourself. Yep. I, I don't I don't feel like comfortable at all. Not even maybe for the first hundred to hundred fifty meters, and then you're like, oh crap! Where I, did I got ninety five percent more or less,
0: <laughs> and I'm tired. Am I
1: right? Right. So I yeah. So you want goals that scare you. They have to be within reason. I'm not going breaking two with Eliud, right? Obviously, right? Um, None of us are. No one listening to this will ever break two hours. I can promise that, right? (laughs) Well, when this podcast gets really big, who knows if Eliud goes into the uh, archives. (laughs) Uh, But nobody here will will be doing that. So you want to stay within reason and you don't want it to be too easy. So um, that's how I come up with my goals. Plus I say to myself, where can I realistically get? I never thought I'd go sub three. Mm -hmm. When I first started out, I just barely broke four hours. I took an hour off my time.
0: And actually, I have in front of me in 2014, after your Philly marathon, you wrote, I did it. 329, 18 marathon, a result beyond my wildest dreams just a few years ago. But then a few years later, you were chasing a time 30 minutes faster. So how did that come about? When did you say, I am capable and want that sub three hour marathon?
1: So, Arnstein got it in my head. That's the first thing, the three-hour marathon. I I qualified for Boston and I was excited about that. And going back to your earlier point of um, not throwing away everything else. um, So, the reason I'm particularly proud of the Boston qualifier, uh, I ran a 317 in New York City to qualify and it was so impressive to me because I had so much going on in my life. I had three major deals going on at work. I had so many things going on family-wise. There were so many distractions. And I said to myself, if I make this happen on top of mm-hmm. all that and I keep it all together, I'm a rock star like I could do anything that's just incredible I, and I pulled it off, I pulled yeah. it off, and I was so excited about that and honestly, I could have just been happy there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you'd never really satisfied, but I'm one of those guys that I actually celebrate yeah, my wins for sure you know I don't I don't just say, hey, you know what all right um that that was good, but I could have done better now, part of me always feels that way, but I was sort of satisfied I'm going to Boston. I'm going to give it a hard effort, uh, an honest effort, as usual. But, yeah, yeah, the future of running for me, do I have to break three hours? I mean, that's a, it's a really tough pace for a guy that's my age. I'll, I'll be 48 in February. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's, you know, that's something I really want to go after. It's going to take a lot of time. I have to, I have to be realistic with the things that I have going on in my life. Um, so he got that in my head. And then once he got it in my head, I couldn't get it out of my head. It was just like I have to get that done. It's almost like my kid brings me a broken toy and says, "Can you fix this?" Yeah. And they're waiting like anxiously for you to fix it. And you're just like, uh, "Not yet, but I'm definitely not giving up with that." And place. in your head, you're like,
0: I just want to order a new one on Amazon. Can I stall them for two hours? But they're right. Exactly. <laughs> I fixed it. It's perfect. Yeah, that's a good. Actually, I know you're obviously facetious, but right
1: there's there's no shortcuts. Yeah. you can't get there with a shortcut. If somebody could can a sub three hour marathon and sell it to me, I would not buy that can that's just not that it will never give you the same fulfillment That's why I see people cheating on strava where you know where the marathon investigation guy breaks open these cases of people cheating in races cutting courses. What are you doing like you get, yeah. as coach Kane, coach Kane says about that. Seek help. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what's happening here? What, what are you doing? And like, you're not getting away with it. Like, for example, Paul Ryan mm-hmm. in the 2012 campaign, it came out that he said he ran a marathon and he said he ran around three hours. And it turns out he ran like four hours and runner's world broke the story. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're going to lie about something, don't lie about like race times. Like that's the <laughs> most easily verifiable thing yeah. <laughs> out there. <right? laughs> but like, if you think about it, that was so upsetting because I'm thinking to myself, you know what it means to run three hours? And if you ran a three-hour marathon, you remember yeah. if you actually
0: ran a Of course. Your sub-three-hour marathon journey, though, is, it wasn't like, oh, I set my eyes on three hours, trained for three months, and I hit my goal. Yours was three, four years of racing and training and miles and miles. And there were a lot of attempts where you lined up and told yourself, I'm ready for this. So what happened in those races? And what do you do, let's say, for example, a mile 20? where you realize everything you trained for for the last four months is out of of line and you're not going to get it. Okay, a little bit to unpack there, right? So yes, Mm -hmm.
1: you work hard, you line up. Race day is not in your control. You can feel like total garbage on race day and that's just life. And you Mm -hmm. just have to accept that now. If you don't accept that now, you're going to have a hard time as a runner. It's just, you could put in the weeks and the months of training and then race day comes and you're just going to feel flat. And you know that's true because you've gone and done workouts and you felt like crap. And why did you feel like crap? There's no answer. Some days you just don't feel it. And that could be race day. So for example, the 2019 New York City Marathon, three weeks before the Philly Marathon, where I ran sub three. I ran, felt great initially, went over the Verrazano, started feeling like garbage. It just, my legs were flat. I wasn't able to turn them over. Didn't feel well. 3.06. All right, I accepted it. What did I tell myself, a mile 20? No, I know I'm not breaking three hours. That was the goal. Well, at that point, you know, you just have to say to yourself, I'm going to give this an honest effort. So that way, when I'm sitting on the couch later, I'm not going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Give it an honest effort. And whatever the day brings, you work with that. And you know you couldn't do anything more. And there's peace in that. You'll always have peace and satisfaction knowing, and you know, if you've given in a hard effort, mm. you know, in your heart of hearts, you know, if you slowed down or not. So you start negotiating with yourself. Okay, I'm not making it three. Let's see if we can do 305, 310. You know, let's keep it respectable. Stay with it. Don't cave. Don't walk off the course. You're not injured. Mm. You know, the Metro card's there, but don't use it. Yeah. Right. I mean, don't, don't do that. that that's a bad precedent. Do you set. go into races uh, with
0: more to... than one goal? I
1: do. I do. Um, I, I know people say that that's dangerous because um, then you go from A goal to B goal to C goal and you start negotiating mm-hmm. Um But look, I have, nego- I have negotiated with myself in every race. So it's always a battle. Um, I, I start races pretty pessimistically. Like this is gonna hurt, this is gonna suck. I'm not gonna feel good. And and I know that at the start line and I'm probably not gonna hit my goal. I say those things to myself. The Philly start, start line, I said, Three weeks ago, I felt great going into New York City and it fell apart. What makes me think like only a schmuck would show up here thinking, yeah, this time, this is this my race, right? Yeah, so I'm pessimistic by nature and then I get pleasantly surprised. So in the Philly race, for example, even halfway through, I ran 132 at the half. So I got to run a 128 second half and I'm feeling like, not great. Right? Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, I mean, it's uncomfortable, right? So, but but then, yeah, this takes me to, A really good tip uh, that I say to myself uh, when it's late in a race and it starts to hurt. Uh, My mantra, it's a little bit of a long mantra, but my mantra late in a race is there is no physical pain that's worse than regret. You don't want to be sitting on your couch later, looking at your splits, you know, thinking to yourself, what the hell was I thinking in mile 18? Like, what was I doing in mile 21? Couldn't I have pushed a little more? But like these splits were so good until then. Like, really, couldn't I have hung on? And and I say that to myself in a 5K, yeah. too.
0: And the worst part is we can always answer yes. Every time I've looked back at a race or a workout, and I'm just sort of disappointed. And I just think, honestly, I probably could have gone a little bit harder. You could have gone harder. There's no
1: question about it. And I think it was um, Paul Turgot, I think he said, um, in a race, when the effort gets hard, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, mm. um, ask yourself whether you can give more. And the answer is usually yes so i never so i i sort of shorthand my mantra my long <laughs> mantra to just to just no regrets and i know what that and i know what that means yeah. so if in a 5k i'm in the last 0. 0.75 and it's painful as hell i just say to myself no regrets just spin the legs spin the legs you'll breathe at the end right i think momo gave me that yeah. one you'll Momo said end. to me you breathe at the end yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> with 10 seconds left you know what you can sort of manage that. If he says that to me a half a mile out, I I, mean, take it easy, mama. I I
0: think I remember (laughs) you saying that out loud when you passed me in our first 5K together with like 10 steps left. You just sprinted by me. The last time I will ever pass you in a 5K. (laughs) (laughs) So, I have a little bit more I actually want to unpack on this marathon journey. So, we we spoke about New York City. New York City didn't go the way you wanted. How does Philly come into the picture? Because... The day before when we spoke, it was it didn't exist. You weren't registered. You didn't come with a credit card and a phone to register for the race when you finished New York City. right? And you right. just ran an entire marathon at a very respectable pace. It wasn't like you blew up right. and walked the last six miles. You fully ran it. So how does Philly come right. up? And what do you do differently right. in those three weeks? Good questions. Um, the first part is when
1: uh when you on race logistics it helps to have good friends david salama offered me a slot um not a not a registration registration was available but he he offered the room he offered the ride i mean he was mm-hmm. just made it too easy to yeah. say no it's like it's right there and on on my personal readiness and thank you david but on my personal readiness right i felt hey if you do a lot of mileage you can recover from these things i mean i was doing 100 mile weeks going into these races so I already have that base. I've been recovering. I don't think you really need a taper. Uh, one of the, and another thing I learned from Arnstein is that the taper, I mean, Arnstein and taper is sort of like an yeah. oxymoron. There is no, there is no taper because his view is you get stale. And that, that's the case for some, some runners. And I think I'm one of them. I, I think it's at definitely time, a
0: minority. But looking at your experience, I can I mean, see why that, why that works. I mean,
1: how do you feel about the taper? I mean, I feel like the reduction in activity while it refreshes the legs, it also does potentially make them. So I
0: think everyone has a different take. I experiment with different tapers, but I definitely cut mileage pretty heavily. Um, what, what I've done, right. what I've heard is to cut mileage, but increase speed. So maybe not increase speed every day or every workout, but every third or second day, throw in a fast mile right. just to keep the legs going. But instead of, let's say, a five mile run, you do two and a half mile runner instead of a four, you do a two mile run just to keep everything going. Right. But I'd love to hear a bit about this RC taper. I don't think everyone here fully yeah. understands. Yeah. How insane and I'm, not that sure. was. I'm not
1: sure it's for everyone. And even people with a lot of experience it says for me, it just, it seemed to work because it, it helped me continue to feel like an animal, you know, like go into the next race. I'm still an animal. Like the previous week I, I was hammering. So, it's not a foreign thing to me. It's not like, oh, I got to wake up my legs again. So what, what, what for was the race taper? So it was to just uh, keep doing hard efforts and longer runs and not sort of, you know, the traditional taper of cutting cut, cutting volume. Now, the last week, there is a cut of volume. But those three weeks, like, for example, when I was trying to break the 330 in the marathon in 2014, I went into the Philly Marathon two weeks after the New York City Marathon. And in between, the week in between, he had me running a 20-mile progression run on a track. Oh, my God. And I, and I and I did that. But still, like I said, I mean, all right, so like, it could be argued maybe I would have done better at the race because I wasn't as well-rested. But uh, I, I don't know. I, leading up to that point, I always sort of felt, you know, kind of flat or stale going into a race. But coming in, to having sort of the Arnstein taper, I felt more fresh, if you believe it or not. I, I think you just need – a. I think I just need a few days of inactivity or just light jogs to get myself back to normal so it worked for me
0: you don't taper but you do this crazy mileage between marathons and you get to philly and it's the first time you've ever done this and you're off pace at the half and you're off pace at mile 20 what are you thinking and what do you
1: do you gotta fight the negative thoughts. I mean, it sounds cliche, but you get to the next tree, right? I mean, I'm off pace at the half, but I said to myself, hey, this is a race where I intentionally, I was set out on negative splitting the race. I'm gonna see if it works. And up to that point, I was not a very disciplined marathoner. I would not negative split marathons. I would bank time. I would feel like, hey, I've gotta be at the half at on pace. Otherwise this is not gonna work for me. And this was really the first time where I was very disciplined, I said, I'm just not going to cross the halfway mark faster than 1.30. I'm just not going to do it. I refuse. I'll, I'll, stand at the, I'll stand at the halfway mark <laughs> waiting for the <laughs> clock to tick <laughs> before I do that. I will not make that mistake again. And, and the other thing that uh, really helped me was, um, I should just add this, is that I realized that nutrition was important for me and I needed to force gels. So in training, uh, I forced myself to take more gels. Mm-hmm. And Arnstein sort of pinpointed that I'm not getting enough calories in. And that was absolutely critical for the marathon, which I just, I didn't appreciate until that point. So I was even stuffing a gel down at mile 24, if, or not, like forcing it just because I didn't want to, I was scared. I was running kind of scared that I'm going to fall flat again, like I, do, I had done, you know, with my bad fade mm-hmm. in previous marathons. Um, so yeah, at the halfway point, you start negotiating with yourself. It's funny. You say to yourself, all right, look, I didn't run three, I didn't run stuff three, uh, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago you know, all right, it's just not gonna happen again. It's not the end of the world, right? Give it give like I said, give it the honest effort and you'll still feel good about yourself. But something clicked and I said to myself, hey, you know, I I might have a shot here. And the tailwind helped in the last 10K. Um, my mantra helped. You know, you don't want to you don't want to travel somewhere for a race. It's one thing to be in New York City. You don't want to travel to Philly and stay overnight in a hotel room and then sort of be out there and say to yourself, I'm just gonna slow down in mile twenty two. Like, you just mm-hmm. don't do that. You know, when, when you travel for a race, for some reason, you take it more seriously.
0: <laughs> no, definitely. Like you said, you took it more seriously and you dropped to the low 630 pace for the last five miles. So how? Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Look, again, look. I'm a guy. When I did my first 5K, it was 25 minutes and change. And I was hyperventilating at the mm-hmm. finish. Like, I'm that guy. I'm like every I'm every runner. I'm every runner Joe. Like, I'm that guy. Who progressed from there. Heaving. Hands on my knees after a 5K, to running 6:30s at the end of a marathon. I, I, the only thing I could say is you have to trust that if you keep working at it, keep putting miles in the bank, doing the work, you will succeed. It's almost, a almost a guarantee. I said race day is not a guarantee, it never is, but you will get better if you run more.
0: I think everyone hearing that this has a lot to take from that. I'd like to touch on something else I think is very important to you and that's family. And, and like you mentioned earlier on your wife and your family have been really supportive, but something you always mention here and there on runs is the spot your dad has played in your life um, and in your inspiration for running um, a bit about that. And when you're in the race or thinking deep on is, does he come to mind and what energy does he bring to you? Right. Yes, my dad ran pretty regularly. Um, For him, it was
1: in the 1980s. It was sort of the jogging boom, and it was actual jogging. So in the 70s and 80s, jogging was really promoted as a form of getting healthier and losing Mm -hmm. weight. Um, Every single day from our house on East 5th S&T to, I'd say, he said he ran seven miles in 70 minutes or something like that every Mm -hmm. day. So I assume that was a 10-minute pace, and he was going to like, I guess, Caton Avenue and back or mm-hmm. something, if I had to calculate. Um, and that makes sense. And he always came back a sweaty pig, like he was drenched. He had his New Balance shoes and his his, his singlet and his shorts and his the short shorts. And this was what the 80s look was with the headband. And he had a good routine. That was his thing. He went and he ran in the morning and then he showered and went to work. Um, but I think for overall health, um, what he was missing, Uh, was I think that health is a three-legged stool. There's the exercise, there's the diet, and then there's the stress. And I feel like stress related to that is uh, sleep, getting enough of it. Um, And I feel like he, two out of three of those, he did not check the box. And so he passed away of a heart attack at 56 years old, um, even though he was an avid runner. Uh, So, My take on that is um, just obviously not talking about him as a great father and everything else, but just talking about it from the running perspective. Um, I saw that he was motivated. I saw that he had a routine. And yes, that part sticks out. And I do think about that from time to time, especially on Ocean Parkway, because I'd be going to school on my bus and I'd see my dad. And like sometimes I'd shout out the window and he'd wave Mm -hmm. at me. And a lot of people honked him down and waved to him. Uh, he was sort of like in the same category of like the, the Harry Cantons of the community, who everyone just sort of knew and they were yeah. a fixture. And today those people are like David Bellisiano and Soli Elman. <laughs> you know, they're just out there all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, uh, it's a wonderful memory of my dad running uh,
0: uh, on a routine basis and being very consistent about it. And I'd like to flip this a little bit to you playing a mentor and father figure role to a lot of people in OPR and in the chat. Um, and whether that stems from your relationship with your dad and how important it is from your perspective to take on so many people, myself included, as a mentee, as someone just um, to look up to in the sport and just in the community. Think about this. If, if I can
1: convert a failure of mine into useful, um, workable advice for somebody to help them succeed, I mean, how fulfilling is that? How awesome is that? Like. I have, I failed at something and it's painful to me, but I can give that to you and you can avoid that failure and, and catapult yourself to the next level. Um, you know, if I, I just enjoy helping people, um, you know, with what I've learned. So if I can tell you, Hey, you know what, you need to take in calories in a marathon or, or, you know, be, be sure to negative split that thing. Don't go out too hard or somehow, teach you how to control your nerves at the start Mm -hmm. of a race, whatever I've, you know, sort of failed at and figured out on my own, totally psyched to to give that to people. So when people come to me, they sort of come to me as, oh, you know, hey, listen, uh, I don't really want to take your time. So sorry. Um, I'm not really fast, but I just, I just want to know, am I doing this right? You know, you don't have to answer Mm -hmm. me. It's like, dude, I'm thrilled to answer you. I could talk about this all day. I don't know if you gathered this from this call, but like, I could talk all day. Like, If you want to make this podcast five hours, let, let's do it.
0: We could. Yeah. Honestly, you could have it geared we, towards ultra runners that, that are listening in their headphones. So you said you like to share things that you have failed to make sure other people don't. But something that I think you're really successful in that now a ton of people do is the run commute. The first yeah. time you and I met was when I saw your name on the locker in the gym we both went to and came and tapped on your shoulder. I don't know why I pretend I was so little. I was like 22 and I was like, <laughs> I, I was like Hey, I- I'm Victor. I think you know some of my brother-in-laws. And the yeah. next thing you're like, talking to me about running, you're like, oh yeah, you should just run to and from work every day. So tell us about that.
1: Right. So this is, this is actually a really cool one. I love this, uh, this part of, of running mm-hmm. because it's not tied to any particular goals. It's just a lifestyle. Um, when when Hurricane Sandy happened, the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel was flooded and the subways were flooded. The uh, only way to get to, to work was to take the bridge and it would be three hours. And I said to myself, I just trained for the marathon and I just ran a marathon. I went on MapQuest at the time in 2012. And I said, how far is it from my front door to Battery Park City? And it turns out it was it was uh, 10 miles and I said, I can run 10 miles. 10 miles, what the hell? This is kind of ridiculous. And I'll just put my clothes in a backpack and I'll run. And so I did that. And then I got to work, I was like, I gotta get home. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I dried my clothes, I really didn't think it through. And I put the same clothes on and, I, and I, ran, I ran home and that was like a 20 mile day, it's like a pretty big day. Definitely. And I said to myself, you know, hey, I could actually keep doing this. There's no reason I can't keep doing this. I, this is, could be a way of life. Now, every day, that's kind of nuts. There was actually one week where I did one to and from every the day. The perfect week. Yeah, yeah. I ran Monday through Friday, and I ran 10 miles in, 10 miles home, and it was 100 miles in five days and that was a goal so i made a goal out of that Mm -hmm. but like that's not to me a lifestyle some people do that arnstein ran from like riverdale he was running 18 miles each way oh my god um and at the time one of the things that kept me going with this was i would listen to um ultra runner podcasts because these guys would talk about 220 mile races and anytime i was listening to these yahoos talking about these crazy distances i'd say to myself what's the big deal running from Prospect to the Brooklyn Bridge at this point? Like, this is like, yeah. there's nothing left. Like, this is the joke part of their race. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> they don't even talk about these miles in races. It's like, huh? So that inspired me to think there are people out there that are doing a lot more. And I think a lot of newbie runners that read Born to Run and they, they think about the Tar-O-Mara, uh runners in Mexico. Mm-hmm. They, listen to, they, they either listen to the audio book or they read the book. And I think that motivates them also to think about distances and how distances can be perceived differently if you look at it in the context of what other people are doing. So that
0: helped me with the run commute. And ever since, I've been running to and from work. And it's sort of part of my life. And so there was one year where the gym that you shower in actually put up a sign and said, if Ralph Tusi runs to work, why can't you?
1: right. Right, just to make people feel like uh, crap about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, the goal was to inspire them, right? So they actually made a poster of me saying, Ralph well, Tesey ran to and from, you know, he runs to and from work, right? You, sh- you guys should try this. And then people started coming up to me in the gym telling me that they tried it. And then I, I asked them, and really most of the questions were about logistics. It's like, so you buy deodorant and you leave deodorant, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you have to have two separate lives. Yes. So imagine that you're like a double agent. You have your home locker and your work locker. And so it did actually, it did actually start motivating some people. People did try it, and I thought that was really cool.
0: I mean, I'm one of those people, and I can say I've tried it, and it's been great. And yeah, it's actually, I think something that's been helpful for me is being able to text you in the middle half today. It's like, hey, are you commuting home? Because otherwise, I think so, I so want to go spend.
1: To <laughs> The run home, by the way, is the tough one. The run to work is super easy Mm -hmm. because that's your morning. You don't want to think about where you're going to get your run in. You just want to get it over with. And and you have to go to work. Yeah, it overlaps with the commute you would have done anyway. And you can't consider the shower time because you would have been showering somewhere in your house, right? So like that time's already lost. So you're you're making the best use of it. The run home, that's the killer because now you've worked a whole day. You're wiped out. You're in your work clothes. You're wearing your dress shoes you're saying to yourself, okay, all right, I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to run home. If I have a guy like Victor Zaytuni texting me, (laughs) I'll do this with you. Are you ready to run home? So much easier. And the other thing that, and this is a good lesson actually for your listeners, get dressed and then reevaluate whether you're ready to run regardless of when it is. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's running home from work, right? I'm wiped out but I have like six hours of meetings um, and I say to myself, all right, I I don't want to take the subway. That's for sure. What are my other options? To Uber it, that's pretty lame, right? Or to run home, which I'm prepared to do. There's really no excuse not to run home other than I'm tired and I don't like that excuse. That's a bad excuse. So let me get dressed and see how I feel. And you won't believe what changes when you get dressed. It just changes your mindset. Think Mm -hmm. of it like Clark Kent going into the phone booth and changing into Superman. Like, that's what happens when you put on your running clothes. And now I'm standing there, and I'm in my running clothes. There's just no shot of me getting dressed back into my work clothes mm-hmm. and taking the subway. So now I'm going to step it. I'm going to take it out. So you take those first two steps, you know, kind of slowly. You start out slow. You know how it is when we're headed towards yep. the Brooklyn Bridge, and you're like,
0: uh, there's a lot left here. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> at that point, but, you're looking but, at every subway saying, "Will they let <laughs> me on. Let's put it this way. Since 2012,
1: I've run to and from work with a Metro card in my, in my waist pack, never used it once. That's- never took the easy way out. I never, regardless of the weather, I never said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to bag this one. I always, always stuck it out. And that's what makes you better. That's- Cause you take those lessons home. Like that's mental training too. That's not just physical training. Of course it's physical, but the mental training aspect is you, you just don't give up. So now when it's a race and it's absolutely miserable, like the Boston 2018 race for me.
0: Mm.
1: It's pouring headwinds. You can read all about it. I wrote a whole article about
0: it. I'll put the link um, in the show notes. Do that.
1: Yes. And it, it, yeah. yeah, if pe- people want to read that, you can read a story about, you know, sort of persevering in the face of just complete and utter doom in a race. We're talking vomiting, headwinds, the entire length of the marathon course, just miserable freezing conditions with rain. And you stick those out because guess what? You're conditioned. You've practiced sticking it out.
0: Now, here we are. It's actually officially 2021. What keeps you motivated? What are you excited for?
1: Hmm. So I've started reevaluating a bunch of things in terms of my motivation. Um, I've hit time goals and time goals to me aren't everything in running. So, you know, people are listening, Like, you don't have to have a time goal, right? You can have a mileage goal. You can have a, uh, I got out every morning, right? I like this, this past spring, I ran a hundred days in a row. I thought that was easy on paper. It sounded easy. I was a run commuter. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I could do that, but after like, you know, 80, 90 days. And after a while you're like, well, I'm just suiting up every single day now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it starts to wear on you. For it's sure. like today, I'm not really feeling it, but I'm kind of in a run streak. So I may as well try continuing. continue yeah. Um, And so like there's different kinds of goals. Maybe your goal is to, you know, socialize and be more active Mm -hmm. with people, you know, get, you know, connect with friends or, or maybe raise money for a charity. You know, like there's people in the city who are raising money for, you know, people affected by the pandemic, restaurants and small businesses and they're, you know, and the needy and they're just raising money um, through running. Uh, Like there's different ways to make goals. So for me, motivation wise, one, I'm staying healthy. So I'm still a 50 to 60 mile a week guy all year round. Mm -hmm. Like, even if it's just easy miles. Um, I do have some goals that are still out there that are time goals. Cool. I do want want to run a sub five minute mile, which I hope you'll pace me to. I'll be there. At some point. Tell me when and I'm there. I will be staring at your back. And, you know, I'd like to also run a 50 mile distance at a time because I just want to see what that feels like. The furthest I've ever run is 34 miles. And I was kind of like really tapped out at that point, but that was like in 2014 or something, or 2015. For sure, It's so crazy to hear yeah. these
0: goals and to rewind 40 minutes ago and hear you saying, hey, when I went for that first run, it was like almost two miles, I was so excited.
1: That's right. Um It's just like, this is the progression that you can expect to make. It's super exciting for people who are just starting out, mm-hmm. especially when you're starting out, the PRs are just so abundant. Now I'm like scraping for one second in a 5K. <laughs> But at the time, it was like, hey, I PR'd in the 5K by
0: three minutes. It's like unheard of. (laughs) I went for a morning run on Tuesday, and my watch said PR in the 10K.
1: You know, it's funny you say that. So, like, when I first started out, I was running on the West Side Highway in 2014. And I remember I PR'd in the 10K and then showered and went up to work. And I had such a phenomenal day. And I just said to myself, like, there would be peace on earth if everybody ran a 10K before work or whatever, before their day started. Like it was just like, I was just so, everything was complete and integrated in my life. I saw everything clearly. It was just such a wonderful existence. I pr in the 10K. Oh, uh, you know, you wanna have a meeting for three hours to talk about this issue that we talked about last week? No problem, let's do it. so for anybody <laughs>
0: studying poli-sci, when you're at the UN one day, tell them, just have everyone run yep. a 10K.
1: That should be required to be in the UN General Assembly is that you run.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah, it would definitely make you a better um it would give you a better outlook on life, no question about it.
0: Well, Ralph, this was really fun. Any parting wisdoms? Be- so, one thing I would just want to tell people to do is really just stay with it,
1: all right? That's the most important thing. Just keep at it, right? And it doesn't always have to be a hard effort. You don't have to be killing yourself. We have this no pain, no gain mentality in the United States. Mm-hmm. I think it's just how we're brought up, like it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger weightlifting <laughs> mentality where you tense up, and you you feel like you have to struggle. You, running is not that. Running is is if there is pain, there's no gain. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be tensing up. You want to run relaxed. You want to run easy. Eighty plus percent of my runs are easy ones. Right? I, I, I'm out there enjoying myself, improving my cardiovascular system, having that connection, the mind body connection. Mm-hmm. Those things. Those are the things that you can't um, you can't replace with gut-busting efforts every single day. That's just gonna wear you down. So anyone who's out there who's listening, really take it to heart that I promise you, you'd think it would be an easy sell, Victor, to tell people, run easy gonna... and you'll get faster. You'd think that would be an easy sell, mm-hmm. but if not, people insist on just going out there and killing themselves. Um, don't do that. And you'll have a better time and you'll have more longevity and you'll enjoy it and you'll see progress. Yeah. Progress will, is, is almost assured if you do it the slow, patient way. That's awesome.
0: Well, thank you, Ralph. This has actually been so fun. I hope to see you soon on a run in Prospect Park.
1: Absolutely, and I can't wait to hear your future guests. This is gonna be great.
0: As you can probably tell by now, Ralph is a well of running knowledge and experiences. He's the epitome of how hard work and perseverance pays off and what it means to bounce back from tough races and efforts. Check out the show notes for a few of the resources Ralph and I discussed, and feel free to reach out to Ralph for any guidance or advice. Ralph took me and many others under his wing early on, and I, for one, would not be the runner I am today without his help and guidance. You can find him on Instagram at Ralph As always, I welcome any feedback and recommendations. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Voices of Ocean Parkway or to shoot us an email at voicesofoceanparkway@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Next week's guest will be 50 time marathoner Adela Bowes. You heard that right 50 time marathoner. Until then, this is the Voices of Ocean Parkway, hoping to catch you on the roads of OP soon.